trusting in you, the God of the harvest. Amen. Well, have you ever seen those Hungry Jacks advertisements on TV or on YouTube? I mean, the burgers, they look so good, don't they? They're absolutely mouth-watering. They look a bit like this one on the screen. Now, have you ever driven past them and they hook your attention? And if you're like me, before you know it, you're in the drive-thru, you've paid for it, you've ordered that very burger, you finally get it, you park your car, you open up the bag, and what? It looks nothing like the picture. In fact, it looks a bit more like this one coming up now. Maybe the clicker is not working. It looks a bit more like that burger. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very disappointing. I mean, the lettuce is everywhere. The cheese fell off the burger. It looks like they made it, put it in a washing machine, and then they gave it to you. And it usually doesn't taste as good as you thought either. At that moment, we feel the disappointment of an unmet expectation. And the pain is very real. <laughs> we feel this disappointment when our expectations come face to face with reality and things don't go our way. And I'm sure we've all at some point had the experience of trying to share the message of Jesus and things didn't go our way either. This could look like a kids' church lesson that you prepared and it goes totally unaccording to plan. Maybe you're having a gospel conversation with a non-Christian friend and you're worried that you're going to say something offensive. Maybe anxious thoughts grip you and you fumble and you stutter over your words. Or maybe you do everything right and yet you still seem to have little or no impact on those you're sharing with. Do you know the feeling of pouring into your serving teams each week, hoping and praying that God is going to bring about change in the lives of those you're pouring into? And yet, it seems like our efforts are just met with apathy. When we share God's word to others and the response we receive is one of rejection or unresponsiveness, it can be very discouraging. And those of us who are here today, who are disciples of Jesus, we have been called in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. But making disciples is easier said than done, right? When we share the good news and the response we get back is not what we expected, we can feel discouraged. And what could this discouragement lead to? Well, possibly it could lead to us just giving up and we stop proclaiming the gospel altogether. Or it could lead to us changing the gospel message that we share. However, I feel like for us here at BBC... A big danger is that we would lose trust in God's ability to use us in order to reach other people. And maybe that's how you feel today. You feel discouraged and unusable by God. And we have a problem of discouragement. And Jesus is going to help us address this issue as we focus in on Mark 4, 1-20. We're going to see that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And he will bring about a plentiful harvest through his working. There are two points I will be making today. The first is that the word of God, when proclaimed, is often rejected. And the word of God, when proclaimed, multiplies. My first point. 
the word of God, when proclaimed, is often rejected. We see this in the text. In fact, we're given three different examples of God's word being rejected. What we're reading is a parable, and it goes a bit like this. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering his seed, some of it fell on a path where birds came and they ate it up. Some seed fell on rocky soil where it sprang up quickly, but because there was not a lot of depth of root, when the sun came out, it just withered the plant. Some seed fell on thorns where it grew up and the thorns choked the life out of the plant. And some seed fell on good soil. Soil that grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Now this passage undoubtedly deals with people's response to Jesus. Either people will accept him or they will reject him. In fact, we're given four different possible responses to Jesus. And what's really cool about this parable is as Jesus is speaking, he's actually living it out. The people listening, as they hear Jesus, they are challenged to consider what he says and then respond in one of four ways. And for some of us here today, we need to be challenged as to what our response is to Jesus. And for others of us who are Jesus followers, we can also be challenged because we now represent Christ. We are now farmers for Christ who are like farmers who go out into the world and spread the message of God. This is what our primary focus as disciples of Jesus needs to be on. Verse 14, if you have your Bibles, tells us that the seed is the word. And as this word of God is spread around and proclaimed to all people, just like seed that falls on differing soils, the response to the word of God will be differing too. And what Jesus does is he goes on to explain in verses 14 to 20 the different reasons as to why each soil is either responsive or unresponsive. Let's go over them. Verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The mention of Satan here is quite significant because it gives us a helpful insight behind the reality of this parable, the spiritual reality behind this parable. This reinforces the idea that it's, it's talking about the kingdom of God, a kingdom that Satan is in direct opposition to. And if we are going around spreading the message of God's kingdom, well, Satan is in direct opposition to us as well. Ephesians 6 uses this language. It says, Put on the armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our fight isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We're in a spiritual battle against Satan, and we're in a war. And this is, this is quite relatable, isn't it? I'm not sure how many of you have experienced feeling like Satan just swoops up your evangelistic efforts. Most, if not all of us here, have a close friend or a family member that we, we desperately desire to come to know Jesus. And we take opportunity after opportunity to share the gospel with them. And there may be months between opportunities, 
Maybe we don't feel like the timing's right or we don't know what to say or the environment isn't appropriate. But we, when we do, we find the time to share the gospel, we're like instantly met with rejection. I don't want to talk about this again, they say. This is, that's for you, that's not for me. We don't talk about this stuff. It's like water off a duck's back. The person just shuts down before we finish our first sentence. This feels like Satan just snatching away the seed. And this can be incredibly discouraging. And Jesus understands that discouragement that we feel. Would you look with me now at verses 16 to 19 of Mark 4? Others, like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble comes or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others, like seed, um, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. These responses highlight the major earthly causes for failure amongst people who they seem to have accepted Jesus, but they very soon walk away. We have persecution and troubles. We have the deceitfulness of sin and the desire for wealth. Some people hear the word and they seem to be just on fire for God. But when they realize that following Jesus brings hardship and persecution, they soon walk away. Some people hear the word, but their internal heart posture and their disordered desires just choke the life out of them. One example of this is found in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, which says, For the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, these highlight some of the major earthly causes for failure amongst those who they seem to have accepted the word but they soon walk away how often we underestimate the deceitfulness of sin and the desire for wealth we're starting to see where the problem is aren't we it's a heart issue not a seed issue when the word of god is being proclaimed and it is rejected the issue isn't that the word of God is being proclaimed, but it's actually the heart of the hearers. At the heart of people, there is a rejection of Jesus himself. In fact, we, we see this in the context of Mark chapter 3. Jesus is again teaching, and as he teaches, he is accused of having an impure spirit in him, of being possessed by some sort of impure spirit. I mean, Jesus himself is being rejected. And so if we who are now farmers for Jesus, spreading out his message, well, logically, we too will face this opposition and this rejection. This can cause us to ask, how will the kingdom grow when the one whose kingdom it is is being rejected? How will the kingdom grow when the one whose kingdom it is is being rejected? Jesus has already diagnosed the problem for us that it lies within the soil and not the seed. This is why we have three examples of the soil ultimately rejecting the seed. But I, I want you to hear this. Jesus cares greatly about his workers in the field. And he wants us to have our eyes wide open to the realistic 
and at times disappointing responses we're going to receive as we spread about the message of Jesus. Okay, you might be wondering, so where is the encouragement coming from in the text? I mean, if Satan is against us, if people are against us, if Jesus himself is being rejected, well, where is the hope found in this passage? We find another truth here that gives us hope that Jesus, the king of his kingdom, will produce a harvest. And he's going to do it through his workers. Let's look at the fourth soil. My second point is that the word of God, when proclaimed, multiplies. Verse 20. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now, as seen in the fourth soil's response to the word, there is a crop produced, and it's fruitful. I mean, it's plentiful. It's of extraordinary numbers. And this shows us that when the word of God is sown into people, it does produce a harvest. What is the harvest? What is the fruit? It's people. It's people. We're sowing and proclaiming to people. And Jesus is exhorting us to fix our eyes on him as we do so. Let me explain further. Matthew 16, 18 says this, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that he is going to build his church, and not even the powers of hell can stop this from happening. Satan is not going to snatch all the seed away. And so, even though we have seen some unfruitful responses to God's word, we also see this massive monster crop being produced. This leads me back to my second point, that the word of God, when proclaimed, multiplies. Yes, there is a lot of seemingly wasted seed, but there is also a monster crop to be produced. And Jesus is saying, don't get discouraged at the rejection we see, For he is the Lord of the harvest. And he has promised us a harvest. And he's going to accomplish this through his workers. In another part of the Bible, it says this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, from every tribe, from every language. People were standing before the throne of the Lamb. But what we're given here is a picture of the harvest when it reaches its completion. And we see that it's going to be of unimaginable proportions. Verse 8 uses this language. It says, it uses the language of multiplication. It grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. I mean, the harvest is so plentiful here. This is the main encouragement from the text. This is what Mark, the author Mark, and this Mark, We, if I could say, this is what we intend you to be encouraged by and amazed at. The harvest is disciples of Jesus. And the purpose or the end goal of the harvest is ultimately more reproduction. The purpose or the end goal of the harvest is ultimately more reproduction. Andrew Turner, in his wonderful book called Fruitful Church, says this on the topic of reproduction. He says, 
You don't have to go past the first chapter of the Bible to see God's enthusiasm for reproduction. It's a brilliant aspect of God's character and his design. A few lines further, he writes, The Great Commission instructs us to teach new disciples everything that God has commanded, which obviously includes the Great Commission in turn. So consequently, we are to be disciple-making disciples. We are God's co-workers who have been commissioned to go out and spread the word, to sow the word. And is it not greatly encouraging when we see the word of God planted in someone who accepts the word, cries out to Jesus for mercy, and then goes and tells other people about the mercy which they have just received? A church filled with men and women who are godly, disciple-making disciples is a church that God is honored by. And so, BBC, we want to be a fruitful church, don't we? And the good news is that creating people who are like this is God's area of expertise. But you might be thinking, that's great and all, but I currently, I see no harvest in my season of life. I feel discouraged at the ministries that I'm pouring my heart into. And I want to encourage you then this morning that you really can trust our sovereign God. You see, to really trust God's sovereignty means that when I'm not seeing a harvest or seeing fruitful responses as I sow into people, it doesn't cause me to fall into a rut. It doesn't cause me to lose, in, to lose enthusiasm for evangelism. And likewise, if the ministries you're involved in or oversee perhaps as a leader are going amazing, you don't become prideful. Because you know that it is God who has brought about this season and this harvest. It's not a result of my effort or my abilities. If ultimately God is in control of this harvest, then the response we should have shouldn't be to question if God will produce a harvest, but when. Not if, but when. And so I want to encourage you this morning to not be discouraged by what you see in the immediate. God will do his work. And we're investing and participating in that. Planting seeds takes time. Growth takes time. If you don't see the results in your life right now, don't be discouraged. The work of the gospel is intergenerational and beyond that, it's eternal. If you don't see the results right now, your work can and may affect the next generation. So let's keep sowing into those younger than us. Let's keep joining serving teams. Let's keep getting involved in the kids' church ministry. Let's expand the pod youth leadership team. Let's continue supporting ministry apprentices so that we can raise up the next gospel workers, the future gospel workers. All this because God has promised a harvest and he has promised to bring it about through the work of his disciples. It will come. Keep going. Keep going. Well, could you take a second and reflect on the ministries that you're involved in? Or take a second and reflect on a recent maybe God chat that you've had with someone. If your ministry isn't producing a harvest of people currently, are you a failure? Or if that recent gospel conversation you've had didn't turn out so well, should you give up? No. No, 
Now, I'm going to caveat that statement by saying, you may need to reevaluate some of your tactics. But the response is ultimately in God's hands. And it is right for us to care about the things we can control. We should take responsibility over the things that are in our control. We have been commissioned to make disciples, not just preach and pray. And if we are being misunderstood because our communication is suboptimal, then it is our responsibility to become better communicators. Now, most, if not most of us here, including myself, we're not the top 1% of Christian communicators out there. And yet we should strive to become better for the sake of the gospel. But with all that said, how can we know that God not only can, but God will use us to make disciples, to bring about his harvest? I mean, how can we really be sure that what we're doing isn't a total waste of time? I mean, after all, whenever I seem to run a pod lesson or teach or preach, it goes over like a pregnant pole vaulter. I mean, I feel absolutely useless. It, yeah, it's not a pretty sight. Sorry for putting that image in your head. But this passage, I hope you feel encouraged to keep proclaiming the gospel because Jesus, we know he's going to bring about a harvest, a great multitude. Jesus is the harvest producer and he works through his people. So, let's wrap up what we have seen. We see that the word of God, when proclaimed, yes, it is often rejected. But the word of God, when proclaimed, multiplies. And we have seen that we have every reason to be encouraged to continue trusting God as we proclaim the gospel. And we can also see how we should respond. That we should continue proclaiming the gospel. We should continue remaining faithful to the message that God has entrusted us. Matthew 9 uh, is coming up on the screen. It says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send our workers into his field, into his harvest field. We are those workers. We are those whom God wants to send into his field. And if you're sitting here today, you need to realize there is a plentiful harvest out there and only very few workers. And the question is, is God calling you to go and work in his field? Who is willing to be sent into the field? Could that be you? Now, this could look like a few different things. This could look like calling up a non-Christian mate and catching up for a cuppa this next week. And having an intentional conversation with them. This could look like joining a serving team and investing into those whom you serve. Maybe today is a wake-up call for some of us. To ask ourselves the question, am I willing to go overseas and join the mission field there for the sake of seeing disciples of Jesus being made in an ever-increasing number worldwide? Let me encourage you to trust God as you faithfully proclaim the gospel. And if right now you're feeling a bit beat down and discouraged at what you see, feeling a bit discouraged at the effort that you're putting in and you're not getting much result, I want you to fight the discouragement that's starting to creep in. And I want you to encourage yourself 
with these words found in 1 Corinthians. It says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Let's continue spreading the message of Jesus and trust him to use us to reach others. Your labor is not in vain. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your word to us, Lord. I pray that as we share the gospel in a variety of ways, whether that's through hospitality, kids' church, youth group, pastoral care, evangelism, or other various ways, Lord, help us to trust in your ability to use us to reap your harvest. Even if we don't see it right now, may we be encouraged to remain faithful in sharing the gospel. Amen.